0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Joule, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. Order now at chefsteps.com
2: J-O-U-L-E. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from like, you know, 12-ish to like around 1 o'clock, you know from uh, Roberta's Pizzeria. And where is it, Nastasia? Bushwick. Mm, Bushwick. 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 And... Mm. Join as usual, uh with Nastasia, the Hammer Lopez in the studio. How you doing, Nastasia? Good. Yeah, got mm-hmm. David in the booth, right? Also good. Yeah. Uh we weren't here last week because I was in um Barcelona. In fact, I just gave uh By the way, like, if you have, like, a coworker, it's a good idea to bring them some, some crap back. Sure. So I went to uh, Barcelona. First of all, I had, for the first time, uh, that Spanish-style gin and tonic, although they're like Catalan-style, Catalan. I'm like, okay, 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 whatever, Catalan-style, gin and tonic. Uh, so we can talk about that later if we have time. Uh, but I went to uh, one of these uh, old and very well-known... Um, bakeries in Barcelona. This one's called Colomina. Colomina. It means honey com- like beehive mm-hmm. in uh, Spanish. And it's these hard candies they've been making since 1849. What do you think? They're weird that flavors. are not good. Yeah. What flavor is it?
0: It tastes like a cough job, but it's
1: called oh, Is
0: Molomani.
1: I'll have to look it up. It's, some of them are herbal. It's some really of them are good. fruity. Mm-hmm. They're all different. Anyway, Call in your questions to 718 That's seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. 497 Also in the cooking issues uh, style of news, th- this weekend, Sunday, is the first day of the uh, chow exhibit, the general one. The, we, tomorrow we have our Kickstarter benefit, I guess, or VIP benefit or whatever. And then on Sunday is the opening. So if you want to head down to 70, uh, 62, rather, 62 Bayard Street, uh, right off McCarran Park in Brooklyn. They say it's Williamsburg, but in the real life it's Greenpoint. We all know it's Greenpoint. Uh, right side so me. Mean, yep. If you have to. So, for those of you that never been to New York, like there's this like horrible road called the Brooklyn Queens Expressway, the BQE, and it basically cuts a whole section of Brooklyn and Queens off from the rest of the universe, like towards the waterline. And generally, like once you cross under that, you're not in Williamsburg no more. You know what I mean? What mm-hmm. do you think, David? You agree with me on this? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, McCarran, McCarran Park. That's like Greenpoint, yeah.
2: Anyway, uh, yeah, sure. And he's like, I don't really care. <laughs> I live really far away from there, so I kind of don't.
1: He's like, Yeah, that, that, you know, the, the thing is, is that, like, the individual neighborhoods in, in uh, New York uh, have become so hip that, so when I was, like, you know, 20 something years ago, like, uh, when I w- worked in a metal fabricating shop in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Called SFW, as in so blanking what metals. That was literally the name of the shop where I worked, inhaling like black metal dust all day long. Uh, but so what? But so so what? But, but there was no one there. I mean, like it was like the, like the idea of a hipster. Like, when you told someone you were moving to Greenpoint? They're like, where? Mm-hmm. What? Now it's so hip in Greenpoint that the people in Greenpoint never leave Greenpoint. So they're like. In other words, the point being that they're so insulated there in Greenpoint Land that like, like why be so close to Manhattan? Like, what's the point? Like you might could be anywhere. Could be anywhere. 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 Columbus. Columbus. Yes. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like it's not like those
0: hipster hubs in those places.
1: Sure. And, like, you know, I guess there is a theoretical G train connection from Greenpoint to the rest of New York City. but Not really. No, it's kind of just theoretical, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I live in Ditmas Park, so that is definitely theoretical. It's, it's like 20 stops on the G or something wow. to get from Williamsburg to Ditmas.
1: How close is that to the Ditmas Avenue stop on the F?
2: Um, I'm about a 10-15 minute walk from that. I'm closer to the B in the queue. Do you go to Train World ever? That's like an awesome huge model
1: train shop right on Dickmas. Nope, missing out. If you're a model train person, as uh, my you know my son Booker is. I thought p- you
2: were going to say as Nastasia is. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: would you imagine like
0: the idea oh God, of Nastasia sitting having to in her to room? Work? You'll hear me talk about trains, and then go home and hear Booker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all Booker likes is trains, yeah. but
1: like subway trains only. But like, I now I have this image of Nastasia going home, putting on one of those. Blue and white engineer hats, you know those like caps. I'm playing with my, model and playing train. with your model trains all day.
2: Maybe it's her secret obsession. And
1: when I call, I it's like you hear the you hear the clack 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 I'm like, what is that, Nastasia? Nothing. Shut up. Just running her model trains all day. That would be that would be the ultimate secret. It would be amazing. It's just not in your character at all. Like you have like five levels, like going all. I would though have one like a Christmas train. Oh, around the tree. I would, yeah. Do you, do you want one? I would, yeah. I, can bring I some, don't have a lot of I can room. bring some tracks home. I don't have any room. If I have a big basement, I can give you the minimum size track for the tree. The minimum oval is 31. But then I want all
0: the little Christmas houses to... Now, then now you're talking village. a lot.
1: The yeah. minimum oval on an O-gauge train is 27 inches. Call O-27. That's small. I'm telling you. You can get a small track. You know, But you have to only certain engines run on the O-27. Maybe. Yeah, the the restaurant okay. on the 031. Booker would loan you one of his Santa Fe's because he does not care. He I can only buy cares one. about a Santa Fe. I have plenty of track.
0: Do they have a Metro North one?
1: Uh, now you're talking money. Oh, Once really? you're licensing stuff, like so, like this one company, MTH, used to have the license for uh, the subway, the New York City subway, until they put out a graffitied model. And MTA was like Crap on you. Crap on you. So they gave it back to Lionel, but because it's an official license, Lionel like totally rakes you over the coals for the money. So what MTH did is they started selling non licensed things that look exactly Mm. like the MTA things. They just don't have the MTA stickers, and then other jokers are selling the MTA stickers to stick on it. Yeah. Of course you would. It's you're just like me that way. You're like, yeah, I don't really care whether it's real yeah. or not. Just you know, a couple just, of scam artists for the Christmas tree. You know, anyway.
0: Well, oh, mm-hmm. a couple of scam, please. Oh, oh my uh, God, Dave! If I did the MTA train, then you'd have to build. I mean, the Metro North. You'd have to build a little um, Leatherman. Oh my, my God!
1: Village. Did we talk about Leatherman on the air? I think so. Yeah, and we talked, Dave. We talked about Leatherman, right? The guy who walked around Connecticut, the guy who I would be, were it not for the
2: fact that I have a wife and kids. Maybe it is Leatherman. I don't no, recall no. that. You don't recall Leatherman? No. So uh, is, is that like a like a dungeon kind of thing? No, leather Leather Daddy? No, it's not. <laughs> God, no. It's not
1: really cooking related either. But there's this Obviously. guy. There's this guy, and nobody knows his real name. People say they know his real name, but they don't. All that crap was made up. They know he was like French-ish, like he could speak some French, kinda. And in the 1800s from like I guess just after the Civil War until he died in I think 83 or 89, 1889, he would just walk a uh, a 300 and uh, something mile trail uh, looping from Westchester right over by the Hudson by Ossining all up over through into Connecticut, down to Connecticut River, down the Connecticut River and then along the shoreline and just loop it. And he would walk about 10 miles a day. Every day of the year, rain, wind, snow, the biggest blizzard of the century they had in the 1800s stopped him for, I think, three days, put him three days behind schedule, and he would just sleep outside under these rock overhangs, which they call Leatherman Caves, even though they're not actual caves because Connecticut doesn't have real caves. And, like, occasionally people give him stuff to eat. And he sewed all of his clothing. There are pictures of him. You can look them up. They sewed all of his clothing out of discarded boots that he cut the tops off of and laced them all together into this, like, big, like, uh, outfit. So there are, there are photoshopped images of my face over the leather man's body. Why? Because I would to- – if it wasn't for the fact that I had kids and a wife – you he know, do those crew. are those
2: are your only anchors to prevent you from
1: spinning it out of control is.
2: into that world. Pretty, it is. pretty much, well,
1: yeah.
0: Wouldn't do civil war reenactment. I would do Leatherman. Would do Leatherman. Leatherman reenactment. Someone
1: already did it. The someone it's I did the sure Leatherman. And, but, well, the, well, the other reason. The, look, like I have a place in Chester, Connecticut, and he used to walk through Chester. And like I spent a good portion of my childhood in chapqua slash Mount Kisco, New York, and he used to walk through Mount Kisco. In fact, the, he died on the Westchester side. So basically, I'm already living the Leatherman life anyway. I already. I'm already so cheap that I'll walk anywhere for no reason, like without having you know mm-hmm. uh, so you know I but feel what's the
0: point
2: what's the point of anything? He's just walking so existential <laughs> you know it's like that's, I know
1: but what would the point be for you point f- for me, yeah, what else am I going to do I've already lost my house because I haven't paid my bills. <laughs> I've already, like... Wait,
0: this is hypothetical. I
1: am saying, like, if I didn't have a family to tack me down, you know what I mean? I'd be, yeah. Yeah, be a nightmare. Anyway, so back to cooking-related things. By the way, we had a question a couple uh, weeks ago on hickory syrup, and I report back that I made some. So hickory syrup is not like maple syrup in that you don't make it from the sap of uh, hickory. You make it from the bark. And, um, and you know what? Um, OK, so for those of you that don't know, the, the, the most famous kind of hickory tree, in terms of the nuts anyway, is called the shagbark hickory. And uh, there are some other ones. Uh, many of them have awful flavored nuts like the um, pig nut hickory taste and the bitter nut hickory clearly are terrible tasting uh, hickories. There's also the mocker nut, which doesn't, I don't think, taste bad, but it's just very defensive difficult to crack uh, and the shell bark, which is a variant on the shag bark. But anyway, I digress. So uh, the nuts are delicious. And, and, you know, we've talked about it a couple of years ago. We went on a hickory nut cake. We love hickory nuts. Hickory nuts are awesome. I love them. They're delicious. They are like, you know, pecan is a good nut, which is closely related to hickory nut. But the hickory nut is actually, in my opinion, a superior nut, just much harder to get to. So and smaller than a pecan. So the pecan wins from a commercial standpoint, whatever, whatever. Uh, and and Nastasia, that's another thing you don't like, right? Pecan pie?
0: No, not really. Not. Oh my god.
1: Um, I you like
0: your pecan sours. Yeah, don't those are made? good. Yeah,
1: yeah. Remember, Well, Nastasia, we won't get into it because it's not fr- family friendly what Nastasia did at the event where we were making those things.
0: No, that was.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that was you. You got so angry they wouldn't let you behind the bar oh, yeah, at I the know, YMCA. That's not that. that's not it's not safe for work, Mm-mm. what happened in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, for the next time we have an unexpurgated uh, <laughs> cooking issues, then uh, you know, someone can call in and request that they get the mm-hmm. Nastasia Lopez YMCA, uh, YMCA pecan story. Let's do that.
2: We'll get Johnny Walker to sponsor. Yeah,
1: yeah. all right. We can we'll say that we made it with on. Johnny Walker. Who knows? Uh, I mean, I don't even remember what we made it with you. No, I have no idea. Anyway, <clears throat> I, I just remember the story, the anger, and uh, well, whatever. Got to it, it involves it involves dietary laws. It's it's a nightmare. So religion. the <laughs> yeah, it's religion, dietary laws, uh, Nastasius, uh, you know, lack of respect for either. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, so back to hickory. So shag bark hickory. Uh, one of the interesting things about it is that it is one of the most aptly named trees that exists. The bark looks shaggy almost like uh like a 60s rockers feathered out hair you know what i mean like it just comes off in big kind of strips and it's layered as it comes down the tree and it peels off what that means is you can harvest the bark rather easily without damaging the tree because you can just rip off the pieces in fact i have some pictures of the bark i'll post it later uh you know after i post my obligatory post for uh, you know who uh mm-hmm. nastasius getting mad at me uh because it turns out if someone, this is separate, but if someone pays you money, you have to do a certain number of posts, and they don't pay you the money until you've done said certain number of posts, and I'm terrible at that. And so Nastasia's been riding me like a trick pony for like a week and a half. Just put up no, the last like, post. Yeah. Whatever, please. Okay. I'm a bad man, it's stipulated. So the, um, so anyway, so someone asked me about making it, and he takes trips or. Blah, blah tips or uh, tricks that i had so i went out into the woods because i know where i have a shag bark hickory it's actually on the neighbor's property but whatever they're, they what the hell do they know they're not using it so i went up and i ripped some of the bark off uh, without damaging the tree and by the way so i didn't measure anything but i harvested enough for about three liters of syrup and i harvested it in like under two minutes because it's just like snap 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 and walk out now um here's the techniques I used in case you know I thought it came out very uh, well so you follow these techniques again with no measurements I took them uh, back inside I scrubbed them to get any sort of moss lichen or like you know buggy like you know t- you know caterpillary tenty craps off of them because that's gross um, I snapped uh, I then snapped it into pieces that would fit into my uh, oven. I toasted them in the oven. Well, I baked them in the oven at 350 to 375 for like 10-15 minutes until I started to get the aroma out. Opened it, the oven, let them flash off and uh, get uh, you know dry. Snapped them into small pieces, um, you know, fairly small pieces, like I don't know, like an inch, inch and a half. I wasn't too anal about it. Here's the one kind of tech trick I did. I then put them in a vacuum machine and sucked a vacuum on them in water like uh, two, three times to infuse them rapidly so that they'd be rapidly infused with water, wouldn't float at the top. Uh, I thought that was a good idea. Then I put them into a big pot uh, with... uh, water i covered it and added a little more but i wanted to keep it a fair i wanted to have a very high see people have problems with this becoming bitter and so i didn't want it to become bitter and usually the way you do that is you do relatively quick steeps with relatively large amounts of product in into not as much water uh so i did that and then i brought it up to a boil uh turned it off covered it let it steep for a while kept checking it when it was brown but not too bitter i strained it discarded the bark back outside. Then uh, I reduced the um, product down by a factor of two. So uh, I started with about four liters of uh stuff uh liquid uh four or four and a half. I reduced it down actually more than twice. Reduced it down um then after it had been reduced down to a little less than half I added uh equal weight in of sugar, stirred it into a syrup and that was it. Uh and it was good. So the things I recommend, I recommend if you have a vacuum, you do a vacuum infusion so that you have the water on the inside really quickly. Uh, I recommend, like, bringing it up to a simmer and then letting it steep and keep testing it while it's going so it doesn't get too, too bitter. And then I recommend uh, draining and then reducing it substantially to increase the flavor profile before adding the sugar. And I've used it so far in uh, – I made an old-fashioned with it that was delicious, uh, in my opinion. Uh, and that was just, you know, three-eighths of that hickory syrup and two of uh, whiskey and uh, – a dash or two of Ango and an orange twist. I also, um, because it does have some uh, tannins in it, is it slight has some slight bitterness in the back. I did a I used it in a shaken sour, which was actually uh, interesting, but not with bourbon. I did a daiquiri. I did an aged, uh, I did an aged um, rum egg white. Uh, hickory syrup daiquiri and it was really good and some of the yeah the yeah the egg white interestingly i also tested that recipe nastasia just for the just for you know giggles i tested it in an isi whipper an easy whipper to see what would happen i was like you know what uh i hate doing cocktail foams right i've always hated doing cocktail foams so i don't do it uh so but since i'm not i don't have a bar anymore i can kind of do whatever i want so i was like uh well what if I were to put this cocktail into like a, a FOMO with the egg white so I did a dry shake in the thing then I added the ice, shook it added that nitrous, shook it and then pumped the cocktail out and Nastasia, the cocktail filled like three glasses one cocktail filled like three glasses 100% foam, 100% foam no liquid, I was like what the hell am I going to do with this but it's good but like do you want to drink a foam
0: you can put it on pie, right
1: Oh, that's a good idea. Like mm-hmm. a cocktail pie. Eventually, it settles out, but you have like minutes. You have on the order of like minutes.
0: Yeah, if you put it on like a pumpkin.
1: Uh, that's a good idea. A daiquiri on top of a pumpkin pie. That'd be good.
0: It'd be
1: really good. Yeah, nice. Good. Uh, I mean, it needs to be contained a little bit. So, what you maybe you'd have like some pie in the bottom of a cup, mm-hmm. like a like a parf- parfait cup, mm-hmm. and then uh, some of that stuff on top. That's that's smart. That's smart. I like pumpkin pie.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know yep. what I don't? A little
0: bit tipsy on... And-
1: foam Are you a little, yeah a little, yeah. in fact I could probably dope it back with cream too and make it like really now you have a little jayquan going through my head everybody in the club everybody in the club get tipsy anyway so that was what uh, that's my results with hickory syrup and thanks for whoever brought it up uh, so that I could test it I recommend going out and foraging for that crud um Here's a question on fryers from eighty in Russia. Uh, you've spoken uh, on, about this before, but I can't find your answer. Like espresso machines, traditional deep fryers in British fish and chip shops. What do you think about the fish and chips, as opposed to like French fries, chips? What do you think about calling them chips? As um, opposed to
0: fries? I guess they called it first, right? Who says that? I don't know.
1: They're not called British fries.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Traditional deep fryers in uh, British fish and chip shops worked by the thermal mass of the huge fryer uh, warming up, fired by gas and recovering after the addition of bucket loads of cold potatoes to make chips. I see, uh, excuse me, <coughs> I see commercial line fryers, meaning continuous fryers, I guess, that make potato chips like uh, Lay's. Or tortilla chips uh, that have uh, PID uh, controllers and internal conveyor belts to move the product through the oil. If I want to increase consistency and temperature recovery, is it worth adding a PID over the thermostatic control on a benchtop electric deep fryer? Best 80, a cold Englishman in Moscow, Russia. And PS, before I answer this question, PS, Nastasia, mm-hmm. is there any chance you could get Mark Ladner on to talk about the Del Posto cookbook on the air? I, for one, am interested.
0: He said he'd do it next Tuesday.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. All right. There you have it. Next mm-hmm. Tuesday, people. Tune in. Be ready for it. Um, if they're still talking to me, next week on Monday is the first installment where I go to Oto, You know the the Mario <laughs> Batali's pizza restaurant. <laughs> and I
0: have to go all the time, right, every time you're there?
1: If you don't, I'll murder you. Uh, and so I have to prep. So I'm, do, I'm going to Oto, and, we're, and I'm going to be making cocktails behind the bar at Oto. So I'm doing a uh, – I think I'm, I'm using a, some. I'm doing a carbonated amaro, uh, like you know, a spritzer mm-hmm. with uh, probably with lime. Uh, and I'm doing a uh, apricot into bourbon, Hustino, uh, and I'm gonna do a Italian basil nitro muddled uh, gin sour.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think? We'll I see. think
1: I'm gonna add a little bit of strega to that son of a gun.
0: How long are you there for? How many hours?
1: Like, I don't know. I think from like something till close. What time do they close? Four? In the morning? A pizza or joint? Four, right? Yeah. Really? In their bar. I don't think I'm going to be there till four. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. As soon as, as soon as my kids are asleep and my wife's asleep, it doesn't matter what time I come home. Go on. straight
2: Leatherman,
1: yeah. Yeah, go Leatherman to start walking. <laughs> They're like, where are you going? Straight Leatherman. They go straight Leatherman. It's like, well, I got to get up out of the city so I can get back on my loop. <laughs> he didn't like traveling in cities because people in the cities used to pick on him. So he would avoid the. He would avoid the main,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the main routes, and for those of you that don 't know who 've never been to the northeast here, like a lot of that kind of land where he used to walk around is forested now, but back in the day wasn 't it was all cleared. there weren 't a lot of like you know, forested trees around that stuff 's all second growth, mm. so yeah, so he would just like, there'd just be these rock outcroppings where he 'd go hang out. And, like, you know, cook whatever in heck he was eating, because he also had, I think, like a tin pot. Apparently, he, a lot like me, he would carry like 60, 70 pounds of gear around for no reason. Just for no reason. Like, all the time. He's only walking 10 he's miles so a day. Like, so,
2: did yeah. you say the encroachment of civilization is hurting Leatherman?
1: Well, he he, he, he did. He died. He had cancer. Oh, he's dead. No oh, yeah. He part. died in the 1880s. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was doing the this in the, think in the 1880s. He may have come back. I think I may have come back and say like he he had a, uh, some sort of horrible mouth cancer that was eating away at his lips for the last year year and a half of his life, and someone tried to take him to the uh, the hospital he's like Ugh! and then got back out and started walking again now that 's commitment you know what I mean never stop never stop don't stop till you drop man that 's it boom it's like why are you do- you know why do you engineer Dave? like why are you sitting there engineering? I'm just because they pay you, but why do you need the money so you can eat leatherman ate. He didn't have any money. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what's the reason to doing anything? <laughs> He's like, I'm walking. Anyway.
2: So we should all just walk is what you're
1: saying? No, I'm saying it's like, you know, he had a goal. I'm going to walk 10 miles a day. I'm going to carry my crap with me. I'm going to wear boots. Was that his goal to do 10 miles a day or that was you just know? incidental?
0: I think it was incidental, right? Uh,
1: he was pretty much, he was like a watch. People were, people were like, uh, it's time for the leather man to come around. But and he, wasn't like, like, he wasn't
2: like a pro walker. He was just like... A survivor. Mm -hmm. So
1: okay. So if he liked you, like if he didn't really want to talk to you, so there's this one group that took a like that like would give him soup or whatever, and he'd stop by and you'd take it. He wouldn't talk to him or anything. But one time they set up like a, a camera with a sheet over it, and then as he was sitting, they dropped the sheet and took the picture. And there's this picture of him where he has this kind of like. (laughs) <laughs> so Look on his
2: face. I, I thought this was in the 1800s, you said?
1: Yeah, cameras in the 1800s, man. Get with it.
2: Yeah, but didn't it take, like, hours for it to take a photo? This is,
1: like, the 1870s. I think they've, it's a little bit better than, like, in the 1860s. they when I'm, not, they're, I'm like,
2: not up on my history yeah. of photography. I mean, there. it wasn't,
1: like, instant. But anyway, so anyway, they surprised him. He never I knew went, there
2: weren't Polaroids.
1: Right. He never went back to that uh, house again. So, like, what happened is, like, if, if you were nice to him and he, like, liked you, he would come back to your house every, or your whatever, every 34 days.
0: But did he talk?
1: Not much.
2: There's like, a lot of holes in this story, don't you think, <laughs> uh, I mean,
1: look, I've read all of the relevant yeah, I know literature. Dave
0: has read everything.
2: Yeah. So, <laughs> so p- the point is, is that he
1: would just show up, and then, but if you were mean to him, or like were like trying to force him to, he'd be like, he'd never show up again at your place. He's like, You're, I'm done with you. Give you wide berth. It's kind of a good thing, right? If he doesn't show up. And everyone yeah, kind why, of wanted him to, want show to show up. At that time in the U.S., there were a lot of what's called anti-tramp laws because a lot of people were uh, roaming around. A lot of people were displaced um, from like traditional farmland, traditional jobs. So there was a lot of wandering, a lot of tramps, like hobo style, but like earlier. And um, they were widely hated. And a lot of people like passed anti-tramp laws. And in fact, there was lots of beatings, murdering of tramps, people like had, uh, doing all sorts of terrible things to vagrants. Uh, so this is not just a modern phenomenon. Uh, and um, he was the one exception. People were like, yeah, 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 yeah. anti-tramp law, but don't mess with the Leathermen. Just don't. No. You know what I mean? In fact, like these one group of people basically got the snot beat out of them for messing with the Leathermen.
0: Can you post a photo? Of I the Letterman, the photo. Yeah, actually,
2: chat room just linked me to the Wikipedia page, no, and there's no, some photos. No, there's on a here.
1: better photo. Oh, okay. Nastasia's talking about the one that's my face on the Letterman's body. <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't yeah. spend that much time photoshopping it. Like I didn't, for instance.
0: Although it's a perfect <laughs> look. It's in black and white. It's, right. Yeah. It's I
1: mean, what, what, it's not. What um, you really want to do if you're going to fake the photo is obviously pose yourself in the same sort of pose that the person was in and try to match the angle of the camera. I just like found the fastest photo I could find on the internet, cut out my face and yeah. stuck it onto the Letterman's body. And,
2: and really, if you wanted to go full method, you would have to be like. literally being like Leatherman for at least a week or so just to get into that mindset i think it takes a couple of years i'd have to learn
1: french first of all and then yeah. not speak it to anyone <laughs> that would be like the first the first thing i mean i used to know some french but not enough anyway back to the question but we were talking about here is, should i add a pid controller to my fryer so that i can approximate oh, right. what happens in continuous frying uh 80 and the answer is no you should not and here's why uh, or as Mirvold would say, here is why you should not. Right, that's a mix between Mirvold and my professor Raymond
2: Goist Or as college. Leatherman would say, pourquoi?
1: Yeah, or just, Ugh. that's what he would say. You're like, uh, Leatherman, how was the food? Ugh. And then he would just walk away. Anyway, uh, you trying to get me back off, Dave? Trying to get me back <laughs> off topic?
2: Uh, I don't like the way so you phrased that system. sentence.
1: Anyway. Get me oh, off, come on. This is one of the family shows. So anyway. So anyway, so uh, you don't want to do that. Here's why: um, in a continuous continuous frying, is exactly what it says it is. It's continuous. That means you don't want any change one way or the other. They are extremely; they're typically very long, and they're very, very highly regulated. So, uh, you know, the first like two, three, four hundred pounds—I don't know—it depends on the size of the line—but the first whole bunch uh, of stuff that comes out of the fryer is not going to be right. Uh, it'll be over. It'll be under. Whatever until everything comes into equilibrium. And so, typically, these things take a long time to calibrate. But then they run them for you know forever. So, like they have a PID controller on their oil because they want to keep the oil at a certain place at exactly the same temperature. They know that they're adding X number of pounds of potatoes or tortilla chips every hour, and they eventually know what heat average heat input they need into the oil to keep it at the at the right point, and there's a gradation probably uh, definitely in the oil temperature from the beginning of the line to the uh, to the end of the line, but everything stays constant because they have a relatively constant heat input, they have a really, relatively constant potato input, and they're also adding fresh oil because the miracle of continuous frying, the miracle of it is that you can, you absorb oil, uh, you add oil at the rate that it is absorbed by your potato or your tortilla chip, and if you get everything just right, then the oil is always perfectly Condition because brand new fry oil is not good and old fry oil is not good the reason brand new fry oil is not good is uh it actually is um too pure and it doesn't bond as it doesn't uh um transmit heat as well to the uh, chips a little bit of breakdown makes it uh slightly uh more polar and transmits uh the energy much better to the chips so you actually want it to slightly break down uh but you don't want it too much and so in a continuous fryer you can keep everything perfect by uh adjusting the rate of uh, product in, potatoes or tortillas, uh, and the rate of oil in so that the oil in there is constantly right. So it's all about juggling these kind of – that's why you can't make just a few things in a continuous fryer. And for that, PID is perfect. Perfect. Everything is perfect all the time. The oil is always the same. The potato chips or whatever are always the same. Everything takes exactly the same amount of time. Awesome. Uh, By contrast, uh, in batch frying, you are dumping a load in to a single batch. The temperature is going to drop and you need to get that temperature back up. Now, here you don't want a PID. Now, you could have a PID that realizes, but it's just very aggressively tuned so that it rockets back up close to your finished temperature, but then knows to slow down a little bit as you're coming up so that you don't overshoot a lot. So... There might be a situation where you don't, where you could win over a standard like bang bang uh, thermostat, depending on the amount of temperature rise you're going to get. Usually, let's say, let's say you dump a bunch of stuff into a deep fryer and temperature drops real low, it turns the heat way on and you're rocketing up through to your set point. Now, if you have only a small amount of product in there, maybe it can overshoot a lot. But odds are, by the time, if your fryer is really powerful, by the time it hits that. Uh, hits back at its temperature, you're still boiling a lot of water off out of your product so you shouldn't get that much of a rise out of it, theoretically, especially if you have good convection in it, which is why real tube fryers are awesome because they don't uh, tend to locally overheat your oil because they have a much larger surface area uh, to put heat into the oil. Anyway, so Uh, If you have an actual commercial fryer with a bang-bang thermostat on it, it doesn't tend to overheat your oil, um, and they're pretty awesome. And really, you don't need single-degree control over the oil uh, temperature anyway. You just don't want it to get too, too low, and you don't want it to go high, and you want your recovery to be fast. So I would say no, do not PID it. Although – The converse, I'm going to go back. I want to say if you're going to pot fry, uh, I think having a um, using one of those controlled like induction units for frying can be very useful because it's very hard uh, at home. Uh, to pay attention to a fryer all the time when you're doing a bunch of other stuff and it's very easy to overheat your fry oil on uh, on a stovetop and so one of these inductions like the Breville one that I got sent or any of the other ones can be very useful in keeping your fry oil uh, so it doesn't go up too, uh, too high and certain of those like the Breville can have like an aggressive setting where it can get back up to a temperature aggressively uh, it's not as much as like on off but it's much more aggressive than uh, the more standard PIDs And a lot of PID technology, by the way, in terms of cooking and a lot of what's different between different circulators is how aggressive their uh, strategy is. A more aggressive strategy will get you to the temperature faster but have some overshoot. Anyway, what do you think, Stas? Good job. Okay. Anthony from Nashville uh, writes in about Booker and Dax. Uh, hey, Dave, Hammer, uh, David, and guests. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about closing down Booker and Dax and the process of finding a new location. What you'll be looking for in a new spot, and what kind of changes will you include in the new bar, and why? Maybe it's me, but it seems like you didn't talk about it too much on the show, which is why I had to get information from the internets. Sorry if I'm bringing up a sore subject. Anyway, you guys are great. I uh, love the show, Anthony from Nashville. Well, oh, <clears throat> the problem, Anthony, is that um, – There's only so much that I can say uh, because because I'm not allowed to say like exactly like who's going to be involved or what – uh, you know what the arrangement is going to be, what the name of the bar is going to be, et cetera et etc because we're we 're all in negotiations for these things uh at the moment. I can say this i 'm looking for space i 've looked at several spaces i haven 't found a space yet that I think is um is right um, as for what 's going to be different or the same. Um, you know what? What I want to be this. Uh, I think the core of Booker and Dax was uh, the bar. The core was that we were going to work very hard um, to make the drinks uh, as good as we can make them and present them in a non pretentious style. We were, you know, using uh, new techniques and trying to focus on. Uh, working on flavor. So it was a very specific uh, idea behind uh, drink creation. And from a customer service standpoint, we really wanted it to be, like I say, friendly and non-pretentious and, uh, you know, a place that you'd be uh, comfortable to go and hang out and, ha- and have some fun. So that was the goal. I think there, you know, we, we hopefully, I think, succeeded on those uh, two counts. I think uh, in the future, I want to, uh, I'm interested now in the fact of why people go to the bars. And and I think it's to feel awesome, right, Stas? Like I think you want to look awesome. Uh, Not necessarily that everything looks awesome, but that you feel like you look awesome, you feel like you are awesome. I think that's almost, it's not almost, it's more important than the drink, right? Like the fact that you feel kind of special or like that, you know, uh, that you just feel good. Like why else would you go to a bar? if, If you want to feel crappy, you go home. You know what I mean? Not that going home makes you feel crappy Stas. i 'm not saying that, <laughs> but uh, so i 'm going to focus on those kinds of uh, things more in the in the next go around not that we didn 't focus on them before, but i 'm going to kind of put those prime in prime place, and also, I want to make our carbonation system a little better uh, you know there 's a bunch of like tweaks and things uh, depending on the people i 'm working with new techniques might be available to us that weren 't before because I was so I might not be as uh, uh vehement about not using some techniques i don't know uh will will we use garnishes i don't know i doubt we'll use a lot of garnishes we're never going to be a garbage heavy uh cocktail bar with garnishes but i don't know it's yet to be seen uh so it's not that it's a sore subject it's just there's certain things i can't say and i found also that like until you have something concrete to say it's usually you know best not to say much at all right Stas?
0: that's true
1: yeah Jeff from Los Angeles writes, uh, "Hey gang, I recently got into brewing. And I'm thinking about using a circulator to do a brewing bag all grain setup uh, during mash. Running the circulator outside the bag and probably with a hop sock. What do you think about that word, hop sock?" What does that mean? It's like you know, like isn't a, like, like
2: a dance you go to in high school?
1: Uh, now you have like at the hop, but like going through my head. But no, it's like, it's like a bag to hold the hop so that they, oh, they yeah. can pull them back out again. Uh, around the circulator as insurance, in case anything escapes the bag, it looks like ANOVA tacitly approves this based on the two thousand and fifteen interview they did on brewing beer with the ANOVA uh, but the owner 's manuals for each of my circulators, I have a PolyScience professional and an ANOVA one state that they shouldn 't come into contact with food in quotes. Uh, I also contacted a Nova customer service and they said no to what was done in the article. So what's the deal? Is this safe to do with either or both my circulators? If so, is there any particular cleaning that you recommend before or after to ensure long life for the circulators and that no off flavors are imparted to the wort? Thanks for your help. Uh, FYI, uh, you, meaning me, Nastasia, yelling at you, Nastasia and Peter (laughs) during the carbonation, uh, segment a few weeks ago with some of the most, uh, best comedy I've heard on the podcast, Jeff from Los Angeles. Also, uh, I stand corrected. The Blue Man episode, which was the not safe for work, was even funnier. So there you go. Uh, Not a family show. Um, So here's the thing. There's a bunch of reasons why people don't say things are food grade. And I can tell you this as an equipment designer. One, uh, they simply don't want to pay to get it certified as food grade. Uh, So for instance, the original PolyScience stainless steel circulators were not didn't have NSF approval, uh, even though everything in contact with the food was in fact food grade. Now, there's two issues uh, that you come a- across with. Uh, well, there's a bunch of issues. A is it gonna is the food gonna harm the unit? The answer in most of these cases is no. You don't want to clog it, right? So you want to make sure nothing can clog the circul- circulator part. But in general, no, the food's not going to hurt the thing. Uh, Two, although I forget which one it was, but one of the lower price circulators would not circulate oil. You remember that, Stas? Were you at that with me? No. You, yeah, it was Wisconsin. It was in Wisconsin. We were at doing that demo with Johnny uh, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. Hunter, and we mm-hmm. couldn't get the one circulator to go in oil because we were doing that oil water test. Anyway, uh, I think that's either the viscosity was a problem or one of the sensors was like this is weird and it didn't didn't sense right, so it wouldn't work. But that was oil. Um, So anyway, so there's – is the food going to hurt the unit? No. And then there is the unit going to hurt the food and this can be in one of a number of ways. One, the material itself could be unsafe for food contact, i.e. poisonous or what most people worry about is oils uh, from bearings or uh, plastics leaching out – nasty stuff into the food, right? <clears throat> so that's the primary concern. In the old circulators, there were no, like the, the stainless steel uh, polyscience ones, there, were, uh, there was nothing in contact with the food. The bearings were all up top, and it was all just a stainless steel impeller. There was literally nothing but stainless steel in contact. So I'm going to take that one as the, as the base. And also, the newer polyscience um, ones, they're not rated for food, but the plastic, I believe, is uh, food safe. Uh, I had this conversation with Philip Preston, but it was years ago. I can't speak about the plastics that are used in the ANOVA, but I will say this in general, most of these designers would only ever specify food grade plastics simply because why wouldn't it cost a little more? But in general, they know that people are using it for food contact, and even if it's not, even if they're not going to go get the ratings for it, they would make it that way anyway if they're good people, which most of them are. Okay, so back to what we were talking about. And the jewel, I don't know, did we ask uh, Chris Young on the jewel whether or not? we'll find out uh because you know he sponsored the show in fact so we'll find out whether or not that one is a food grid um but the materials in general are food-grade. They're in contact with the material – with the food. Uh, so that's not an issue. But even if it is a food-grade material, you have to get special certifications. The factory charges you more for those certifications of food-grade. And finally, you have to get NSF approval for it, which is um, you know uh, an actual certification, which also costs tens of thousands of dollars because we're going through it with the centrifuge, getting our NSF approval. Um, so there's that, but the the difficulty in getting the NSF approval isn't solely based on the um, um, materials it's made out of, but also how easy the material to, is to clean. So any uh, portion of the unit that can't be disassembled and cleaned Uh, in a way that uh, the people who are certifying it are happy with uh, means that it's not going to get NSF approval. So in fact, even the centrifuge, is another example, certain design parts of the centrifuge are actually not ones that I like. I hate them, but I have to have them there because the factories tell me that I won't be able to get NF certification, for instance, unless certain parts can be broken down and washed separately. So uh, a lot of whether or not something is rated for food contact might be whether or not uh, the NSF people said that it could be washed out. Now, that said, That doesn't mean that you can't wash the stuff even if it's got like crevices. It just means it's more difficult to clean out. So as long as you're willing to take the time to clean it out, I would feel safe serving that stuff to my family. What do you think? Yes. Okay. Um... Andrew writes in about pork. Uh, I think, I think uh, yeah, Andrew writes in about pork. Um, I wanted to apologize for ripping on Dave the other week for disliking sweet tea. If I had known that he respected Eastern North Carolina barbecue so much, I would never have questioned his like of uh, dislike of sweet tea. And for the record, if you get sweet tea in one of those amber-colored glasses, it's guaranteed to be too sweet. That's what we're talking about. Those. Na- in fact, I'm staring at some of those amber-colored glasses. Thank goodness they did not serve sweet tea in this <laughs> establishment. Although they do, basically, they serve their lemonade here as a constant and you have to add water to yeah. it what do you think about that concept do you like the fact that no. you get more more lemonade no. for your money
0: no no it's you, expensive lemonade
1: right because you're supposed to mix it with water but they don't
0: no? tell you to mix it with water
1: that's the thing they don't that's tell the you thing. to mix it with water so like a friend of mine was over yesterday and, and someone was serving him coffee and uh they have this way they're like they're serving the coffee and it's, the coffee is too cold for his taste and they're like we want to serve it at that temperature he's like I just want my coffee hot. If you're going to serve coffee at some non-standard temperature, standard temperature for coffee in the United States is piping hot, like crotch scalding, McDonald's suing, hot, right? So if you're going to serve your coffee at any temperature other than that, you have to be like the guy's like. But then you had this, you had this happen. Hey, I want a coffee, right? And then you're like, uh, sir, I don't know. Do you sure you want a coffee? Because the coffee we serve is like, you're kind of like lukewarm. And he's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, and then you have to go through the whole rigmarole. This is why it's hard to do anything that's outside the norm when you have something that already has like a fundamental, like everyone knows the way it's supposed to be served. There's going to be some mishigash, but I don't think you want to have that happen after the person has a cup of coffee that they think is too cold. Yeah. Because the guy that I was with dinner, you know, at dinner, he was like, he's like, I don't care. Where's, where's the hot coffee? What can I do to get coffee that's hot? Do you like uh, coffee that's not hot? No. You like it hot? Right. Yeah. Right. Back to Andrew's question. Uh... As I mentioned, I live in Boston. I'm unable to cook outdoors and have trouble smoking food indoors because of the poor circulation in my apartment. I miss Eastern North Carolina barbecue terribly. Uh, I miss going to a pig roast with one of those big oil drum grills and just pulling some meat off of a carcass. What do you think about pulling meat off a carcass? (laughs) That Uh, sounds terrible. um, Yeah, but it's fun though. Uh, Any advice on replicating it here? Uh, It probably goes without saying that I can't cook a whole pig in my closet-sized kitchen, but I want the spicy, sweet, vinegary, smoky, meaty flavors of eastern uh, barbecue pork. Uh, I'm completely open to covering my uh, uh, cooking-slash-smoke detector, if it could help, but I'm not sure what the best way to do this is without endangering myself or losing my security deposit. I have a baby-sized oven. Ooh, cooking babies. Terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Uh, A circulator, a torch, uh, an EC whip a crappy coil, electric stove, and a toaster oven if those would help at all. Speaking of my circulator, uh, I was given an ANOVA Precision Cooker circulator. Uh, I want to use it uh, with other fluids such as oil and vinegar, but also don't want to ruin this wonderful gift. Uh, I know officially – I forgot this was even here. I uh, shouldn't use anything with water, but I'm wondering if you know enough about this specific circulator. Let me know if I'm safe to use other fluids. So I can't remember whether it was the ANOVA or the Sancer that wouldn't pump oil, uh, but it came back to life, so you're not going to hurt it. By doing the oil. It's not going to hurt the unit. I'm going to put it that way. Um, I'm still catching up on the Cooking Issues podcast, but I've learned so much for you guys. Um, it means a lot to amateur cooks like me that uh, someone like yourself is interested in our questions. Keep on being great. Andrew. Ah, very nice. Okay. Um, so what would I do? So the, here's the thing. So let's just get over what... Talk about traditional, like North Carolina style pulled pork. So, you're supposed to do in the real world, I mean, like old school, what you're supposed to do is chop wood, burn wood down to basically coals, put uh, a whole hog on a split uh, onto, um, you know, on there and cook it. I think flipping once I think for many many, many hours at a low temperature, uh, ba- basically uh, you know breaking down uh, the collagens, forming a nice uh, what they call like a bark or crust of, of, uh, uh, of dryness around the outside. Uh, then after many, many hours, the inside is moist and tender the outside you hack it up and you put a mixture of vinegar um, and uh, cayenne pepper and regular pepper uh, you know over it and, and you eat it okay so the good news about replicating this at home and a lot of people get really uh, bent out of shape about how to do it is is basically uh, almost any low cooking technique is going to get you the internal structure, internal taste of the meat to be relatively accurate. So You'll find online many people doing uh, um, slow cooker recipes or doing Kalua style where you're wrapping the pork in uh, aluminum foil and throwing it in an oven. And What that is doing is allowing you to get the high temperatures without uh, drying it out too much. The problem is you're not going to have um you're not going to have that crust on the outside uh so people can get around it two ways now if you're going to do it in a vacuum bag which you can do uh you know um, circulate it the problem is is you're never going to get a pulled pork texture doing low temperature you're always going to need to do a higher temperature in order for it to break down so if you even if i cook like let's say short ribs or pork uh, or pork belly uh, for you know days and days and days, so it's very soft. But I do it at a low temperature. The structure of the meat is never the same. Uh, it doesn't render out in the same way. So the structure of the meat is never the same as kind of a traditional pulled pork. So what I would do is get the traditional cut that people do when they when they do a single cut, and that's the the Boston butt or the pork shoulder uh, section. Um, now. Y- you can either you can go wet all the way, but you're never going to dry out the outside of the meat, and it's never going to have quite the, the same thing. So what you can do is you can either – you can do – a, a pre, you know, rub it down with salt. You can use a liquid smoke. The good news – I mean I don't, but you could use like a liquid smoke. The good news about uh, North Carolina, specifically Eastern North Carolina barbecue, is it's smoke-esque. It's cooked in smoke, but it's not smoke e. In other words, it doesn't taste overly smoked, so you're not going to require a, a lot of it. It's not like a heavy smoke um, – Uh, cookery even though it's in smoke for a long time so you could um you could put it in a low low oven uh you know look up uh you know uh meathead Goldwyn's uh recipes on this you could do a combination of uh wrapping in foil uh and putting in an oven uh letting it come up then take the foil off and then let it flash off Uh, i would do some maybe some salt beforehand um and that's it so you could definitely do it Do it inside, Uh, but I would look up. I I haven't done that specific one, but I would do it similar to the way they do a clue. What? I can't keep talking about pork. One minute. One minute. Oh man, Pedro called in from Lisbon about uh, melon melon pan. You know that that kind of thing. And I actually have some. Let me see if I can get through this. I also had one more question. I guess I'm not going to get to on uh, Jeremy on measuring alcohol. Jeremy, I'll get to you next week on measuring alcohol. Let's see if I can bust through this melon pan question. Good morning, uh, Dave, Miss Lopez, David in the booth, and fellow members of the chat room. I'm Pedro from Lisbon, Portugal. And last uh, June, I visited Tokyo and Kyoto as part of my honeymoon around the world. There, we tasted Japanese melon pan, and since uh, and I want to try. It's so good, I want to try making it at home. And a melon pan, by the way, is like a, a bread dough, like a j- t- typical Japanese, like semi-sweet bread dough encased in a cookie dough and baked. That's what it is. Okay. You like that idea? Sure. No melon inside. Okay. Okay. You know, you if you saw it, you'd know it. Uh, however, I followed the recipe to, uh, to, uh, to the tea and already baked them twice with different results. I would like you to explain if possible why the difference in the outcome on both times the outer layer so this is the cookie layer was difficult to work with uh, being very sticky and brittle and i couldn 't make a uniform layer. Does this have to do with the butter quality uh, as those fellow listeners from the bakery in Seattle had the problem does the but- does butter with salt or without salt have any difference, and could that explain the issue i don 't think so uh, on the first time uh, the, re- the bread dough also contains dry milk powder by the way on the first time i didn 't use dry- Dry milk powder in the bread dough and realize on the second time with the dry milk the dough is lighter and more fluffy. What's the role of dry milk in the bakery? Uh, and these are from this uh, recipe site called Japanese Cooking 101, uh, their Japanese basic bread recipe, and their melon pan recipe. Once again, uh, thanks for the show, uh, Pedro uh, Paiva. Okay. P.S. You should visit Lisbon. Yes, I should. I would love to visit Lisbon. I love uh, Portuguese wine. I love port, and I also love Portuguese cheese. Uh, you, did you ever go to Portugal, Saz? No. All right. I want to go to Portugal. I really do. Uh, so anyway. Uh, short answers to your question uh your problem with the cookie i looked at the recipes and let's let's hit the cookie dough first because in case they rip us off the air uh the video that they shot for the cookie dough i don't know what they were doing in the video because the cookie dough they made looked fine but the method they used for making it was terrible they obviously didn't cream the uh butter and the uh sugar enough you want to you first of all take your butter out of the fridge don't bother warming it up and according to uh stella parks uh you know they uh you know Baker, who uh, writes for Serious Eats and has her own blog and all this other stuff. In fact, you shouldn't ever let your butter get above uh, 68 when you're creaming. I don't know. I haven't run these tests, but she swears on 10 stacks of Bibles if that's the case. But well, here's what I do. I take the butter out of the fridge. I hit it with a rolling pin, turn it 90 degrees, hit it with a rolling pin a bunch of times, turn it 90 degrees. I go all the way around until it's malleable but still cold. Throw that into your KitchenAid or equivalent, hopefully with a scraper blade on it, with a, a silicone scraper. If not, you have to scrape down a bunch of times. Cream the heck out of that for minutes with the butter and the sugar to whip air into it. That's going to plasticize your dough. I think the, your main problem was that uh, it was uh, kind of too dense and uh, wasn't uniform in structure and so it was brittle. And also when it's when there's not enough air whipped into it, once you chill it, because you had to chill the dough to, uh, to roll it out, uh, it's going to chill such that the outside is going to be too hard, and the inside's still going to be too soft. So, in other words, uneven chilling might be an effect. And the the denser your dough is, the less nice it's going to act when you're rolling it out once it's chilled. So anyway, so cream the heck out of it when you add the eggs, scrape down, and whip whip those until they're fluffy before you're adding the flour. And I think uh, along with not over chilling it, chilling it for a longer period of time, but not as hard, like don't freezer chill it. I think is going to make a big difference on it because uh, with more air, it's going to be more plastic. It's going to work better. It's not gonna to be brittle. I don't think it's your butter. I don't think it's the salt. I think it's strictly that if you follow the recipe the way they did it, they just didn't cream uh, the, uh, b- the butter for their cookies properly. As for the milk powder, um, the, the function can be different um, milk uh, depending on what's going on, whether it's a whole milk powder or not. If it's a whole milk powder, it has fat in it, uh, and the fat is going to tenderize. But in general, uh, as long as the enzymes have been deactivated in milk, which it usually is, I also don't know whether Japanese bread baking people 101 are using UHT milk Uh, which has been completely deactivated from enzymes, which can uh, reduce gluten, uh, or whether or not they scald the milk beforehand, uh, they call for lukewarm milk. But the milk powder in general, uh, you get a browner uh, version because of the sugars. You're adding extra lactose. Uh, Typically, you get a a fluffier and softer product when you add uh, milk powder. Um, The actual mechanism, I'm not sure of. Anyway, so I hope that helps, uh, and we'll get to the other questions next week on Cooking Issues.